I'm Mark Amender, and this is Knowledge Wonderland. Hey, hello, welcome to the Knowledge Wonderland podcast. I'm Mark Ambender, recording in the aftermath of the New York primary. Next major state is California on June the 7th. We're going to preview it with Christina Bellantoni of the Los Angeles Times. She's their assistant managing editor for politics. She'll give you a primer on everything you need to know about a state that last really made a difference back in 1984. First, I want to talk a little bit about the aftermath of the New York primary. I did a Facebook live chat and was very... Uh, happy to see that we had hundreds of viewers. I'm assuming because it's Facebook, a lot of them were Bernie Sanders supporters. One question I asked at the time was, should Bernie Sanders drop out now? If not, what's the argument? What's your best argument for him to stay in the race? You get to a point where the micro-political arguments that he and his campaign makes just don't hold much water anymore. And so you have to ask yourself, what is the broader reason for him to stay in the race? Are there any more concessions he can extract? For his constituency. But and then I thought about it a little bit, and I, I think I'm approaching it from the wrong way. It's true that his path to the nomination is as, as blocked, you know, as the average American artery. But I think the best argument and the better answer that Sanders ought to give has very little to do with Hillary Clinton and nothing to do with winning the presidency. And it has everything to do with the future of the Democratic Party. Matt Iglesias at, uh, at Vox um, has a interesting article uh, that talks about the Sanders coalition wanting to make Democrats into an ideologically left-wing party. Now, this would entail a lot more than remolding or recasting the party. I mean, it would upend the entire foundation of the modern Democratic Party. Iglesias writes that Democrats, and I'm quoting here, behave more like a centrist interest group brokerage party that seeks to mediate between the concerns and claims of less... uh, of left-wing activist groups and those of important members of the business community, especially industries like finance, Hollywood, tech, that are based in liberal coastal states and whose executives generally espouse a progressive outlook on cultural change. End of quotation. I'll take this a step further than Matt does. The current democratic elite is transactional with these interest groups. These transactions are at the heart of what alienates the Sanders coalition, not just because they lack a soul, but because they reify the institutional barriers to participation that prevent people from flourishing. People who are disenfranchised through unjust laws, immigration status, arcane and archaic election mechanics. I mean, we've seen in Arizona and Brooklyn yesterday, um, New York is famous for its archaic election mechanics. Gerrymandering, racism, classism, homophobia, government neglect, the lack of education and incarceration, They don't deserve their fate being determined by transactional politics this way. And yet this way is what Hillary Clinton represents to so many of these young voters and to their allies. So imagine for a moment that you're an undocumented immigrant or an ally of one. On interest, you'd hope that the strongest possible Democratic candidate would be elected in the fall, right? One who would appoint a Supreme Court justice, who would uphold uh, uh, uphold executive action on immigration, 
one who, given the right Republican opponent, can change the composition of Congress enough to make headway on immigration reform, Hillary Clinton would be that candidate for you. I mean, her support from the pro-reform immigration institutionalist is strong. But you're an undocumented immigrant who has lived here for a while, and you've got a long memory. So you remember back in 2008, when Hillary Clinton was late on immigration, she was as late on immigration as she was on gay rights. And now she's pandering to Latinos by dancing the salsa, by eating salsa, by calling herself a grandmother. You remember not too long ago when she supported sending Central American refugee children back to their home countries. By the way, these refugee children going back to what you might imagine would be their certain deaths. You remember when she opposed uh, a driver's license for undocumented immigrants because that was the strongest position to take at the time. I was at that debate when she said that. That was in, I think it was in uh, uh, Philadelphia. Uh, it was amazing. Everyone in the room just sort of stiffened when she said that. Uh, but now, if you look on television, Hillary Clinton is comforting the children of immigrants, saying, we'll make sure that your mommy is not deported. But you, you don't trust her with your future as much as the political calculus says that you should. But you don't hate her. You just hate the transactional politics that she represents. And Bernie Sanders... He's not perfect, but man, I mean, if given a chance to pop the balloon in the middle of Easter Mass, you would, because the future of this party belongs to you, not to Hillary Clinton. So that argument is symbolic, and it's not the type of argument that I, as a, as a person who likes to deal in facts and probability, generally cottons to, and there are a bunch of problems I have with it, but it's a pretty powerful argument, and, and I'll just kind of let it sit there for a bit, because it's an argument that Democrats are going to hear a lot in the coming weeks. Another thing that I heard on Tuesday night kind of takes the fear that Democrats have with Hillary Clinton to a bit of a new level. Um, uh, a very cagey friend of mine who's a, a Democrat, I won't, won't name him, a really, really smart guy, was looking at some of the numbers out of New York and, uh, and kind of was, was putting stuff together in his head. So on first glance, everything everything seems great, right? You know, Hillary Clinton earned twice the number of votes as Donald Trump did. You know, she's a Democrat. She's a New Yorker. She's going to crush him in the fall. Well, my friend kind of built this scenario in his mind, okay? So just follow me, if you will. Because the New York primary is closed, there's no independence allowed, and because Democrats outnumber Republicans in New York by two to one, Hillary's margins over Donald Trump was exactly what one would expect her to do, if she had the same level of organic support among Democrats as Trump did among Republicans. Okay, my friend then took us to another level. Trump ran against two candidates, right? Ted Cruz, John Kasich. Clinton ran against one. My friend's mind, this further dilutes the strength of her victory. Caveat number three. My friend saw polls showing that the independent voters who couldn't vote because primary rules, again, New York is a closed primary, would either have supported Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump, very few would have chosen Hillary Clinton. And then the final nugget that kind of got my friend's brain really, 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 really kind of pulsing is a nugget from the exit poll saying that 20% of Bernie Sanders supporters say they'd support Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton in the fall. Well, if you were a betting man, and my friend is a betting man, he would therefore take Trump over Hillary in the fall. And I, I had to say something at this point. I mean, I look, 
I've read articles positing that Donald Trump could actually beat Hillary Clinton in New York in the fall. And most of them make a variation of two arguments. One, his appeal to white working class voters is strong. Two, he's more of a rough and tumble, born and bred New Yorker than she is and has a stronger claim to the state. Now, both of these arguments, while being trivially true, really don't make me question Clinton's hold on New York. First of all, the, the, the universe of people who vote in the primaries overlaps with but is much smaller than the universe of people who vote in the general election. So it's very hard to make an argument about the general based on any particular set of facts about the primary. And so on principle, I tend to caution against reading too far ahead. It is true that Donald Trump has managed to bring into the primary a, a, a bunch of Republicans and Republican-leaning independents who ordinarily vote only in the general, albeit for Republicans. They might call themselves independents, but they're functionally Republicans. This doesn't really say anything about his ability to expand the party's coalition in the fall. It does say that he's bringing people into the tent who don't normally vote in the primaries. Third, women. Trump has huge problems with women. They're not going to go away. Now, they might narrow when minds are focused on Clinton as the nominee, and Trump hopes this will be the case. But if you're going to make a claim that a certain percentage of Sanders supporters will do something in the fall, you've also got to account for the larger number of Republicans who say they'd vote for Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump. I should say every poll of New York State that's tested Hillary versus Trump head-to-head, -head, no other candidates running, positing a hypothetical general election, shows Hillary Clinton leading by big double digits. Caveat, lector, emptor, caveat, 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 polls suck this season. We get it. But looking into them, I mean, Trump is going to have to win, if he wants to win in New York, an overwhelming majority of working-class whites, including women, and somehow shrink Clinton's margin of victory among black voters and Latinos in New York City. How could he do this? By suppressing the vote, which is not going to happen. He can't do that. How? Okay. The other way he could do that is by appealing to these voters and getting them to switch. How? How? Really? The other thing he'd have to do is have women in Nassau and Westchester counties swing towards him. That's a very weird thing to say. He'd have to swing women toward him. I'm not making this sound very well, but you know what I mean. Women would have to vote for him. Women in Nassau County, Westchester County. And really... It's hard to see how Clinton could alienate these voters so pungently and so indelibly unless, unless she's indicted by the Justice Department for her role in mishandling classified information. Now, that is a really, 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 really small potentiality. It is potentially possible, but it's really small. There's very, very little based on what we know in the public record, to suggest that that's actually going to happen. But it could happen. A lot of Democrats seem to assume that Clinton will be much more vulnerable in the fall than she is now, even though right now her favorability ratings are much lower than any candidate, except for maybe Donald Trump's. And my friend agrees. He thinks that Trump is going to run a scorched earth campaign against Clinton. He thinks Trump will bury her among women by, by pointing out how Clinton shunned and tried to discredit the women who accused uh, Bill Clinton of misdeeds back, back in the day. And so he thinks Clinton will be inevitably much weaker than she is now. Now, to this, I don't have an answer. I would just bet against it. 
my friend would not bet against it. And therein is the catastrophe scenario for, for Democrats. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And before we get to Christina Bellantoni and the California primary, I wanted to thank everyone for supporting this podcast and for listening so ardently and for your kind comments. Please do me a favor. If you like this podcast and if you want to help out, if you have a few seconds, just go to the iTunes store on Apple or now the Google store, the Google Play store, and write a review of this podcast, hopefully a positive review. That really would help. You can also follow me on Twitter at Mark Ambender or on Facebook. The Mark Ambender, M-A-R-C-A-M-B-I-N-D-E-R. So California, in 1984, Walter Mondale, on his way to the Democratic nomination, ran into a roadblock in the name of Gary Hart before the Democratic convention, because Gary Hart managed to win the state of California. This was the last time that California was important for either party. So I asked Christina Bellantoni, the assistant managing editor of the Los Angeles Times for politics, to talk a little bit about the dynamics in play as Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton and then Donald Trump and John Kasich and Ted Cruz head out to this state, which to me is really like five states in one. When I left D.C. to move to California as something you experienced too, I sort of thought, oh no, am I going to be really out of the loop when it comes to politics? And people in California are very checked out and disengaged and not only have voters in California already proven me wrong, but you know my best hopes have been realized in that our primary is not only going to be interesting, but potentially decisive in who will be the nominees for both parties for president, which is pretty exciting. So you've got very different scenarios, both the Democratic primary and the Republican primary. So I'll start with the Democrats. Yeah. And right now, because of the way they allow candidates to split the delegates that come out of state not like the Republicans where you can have this winner-take-all or winner-take-most, no matter how Sanders does in the remaining contests here, Hillary Clinton will still add to her delegate lead, right? She will continue to get delegates even if she loses in some states. You know, decisive win in New York will help her. A large win in California would certainly help her. 
But the bigger picture is that she won't have a huge, huge, huge advantage of him because he will be able to get delegates as well. He's very popular in California, particularly in Southern California. I've been surprised how much I've seen anecdotally, how much I've seen from readers, like very passionate about him. She leads in all of the polls in California, including the USC Dornsife LA Times poll from about a month ago, but her elite has, has shrunk. Either way, she's the mathematical likely nominee. Right. But the Republican side is so interesting because it's similar to what we're seeing tonight in New York, where if you win a congressional district, you will win three delegates from that congressional district. So we have 53 congressional districts and in California. California is basically in many ways like five states in one. I completely. And the regions are all very different. A lot of different types of people live in them. But imagine that there's a district that's very liberal. So Maxine Waters district, I like to use all of the time as this example. There's probably not that many Republican voters there. And in fact, we can tell you exactly how many Republican voters live there. And the campaigns know that information, too. So for them, they could spend a relatively little amount of time, money, and effort to win that, let's say, 5,000 Republicans in her district and net three delegates where you might be trying to woo 300,000 Republicans in a very Republican district uh, and still net three delegates. So you're actually seeing like a almost a reverse campaign in some ways of, of these candidates smartly being able to go into liberal districts to win you're there. You're going to see Ted and Cruz go into Maxine Waters' district or Donald Trump exactly. going to Maxine Waters' right. district. That's, uh, yeah. The Bay Area is another great example of that. You know, these are pretty liberal areas, and particularly the way the districts have been drawn. You know, most of them are fairly partisan. A lot of our, we have a top two primary here, which we've written extensively about here at the LA Times, where you might end up with two Democrats on the general election ballot, the top two candidates rise. But we've also looked at how having a contested primary on both sides could actually dramatically affect all those other contests. I mean, I'm sort of a congressional race nerd, and you have an open seat along Santa Barbara's coastline, for example, where if you have really high Republican turnout, maybe that boosts one of the Republicans to make it into the general election as one of the top two. Or maybe you have an influx of Hispanic voters who really want to send a message to Donald Trump, for example. Well, could that help a Hispanic candidate? Or So there's a lot of different like what-if scenarios based on the number of people that are going to show up. And we know the Secretary of State has said that there have already been record numbers of requests. They're worried about these county registrars getting overwhelmed and inundated with people requesting ballot registration forms, but also just calling to make sure they're registered or changing their registration to make sure they can participate. So there are a lot of moving parts here, and we're going to have a month and a half to go before this primary on June 7th. I mean, Californians have in many ways escaped the glut of political advertising that has just suffused or suffocated the rest of the country, and that's about to change. Yeah, it's already changing a little bit. I mean, we, we do get some of the national cable ads here, but right. you had Bernie Sanders actually run an ad targeted to California over the weekend when Hillary Clinton was here raising money with George Clooney, uh, showcasing the fact that he raises you know, money from small-dollar donors and most of his contributions, as he always likes to say, the average is 27%. But we've also had both um, the Cruz and Trump campaigns inquiring about television time in Southern California very expensive here. We expect there to be a lot of big rallies here. Typically, it's not the kind of grassroots, you know, local campaigning that people in Iowa and New Hampshire get to enjoy. You know, it's mostly done at giant rallies, at big stadiums, at airport hangars, and on television. So the question for me will be, what does John Kasich decide to do? He 
uh, does have an appeal among some of the more moderate Republicans in the Bay Area. And does the common really campaign here? You know, how competitive does this contest look? Maybe he comes into New York tonight. I mean, there are a lot of different scenarios to play out. And the other thing that I find, you know, fascinating is that for the first time, the California State Republican Convention, which has been pretty uninteresting over the last number of years, there's not a whole lot they do. They do two a year, so it's not like there's a lot of drama that plays out. You're going to have all three of these candidates come and speak to these delegates who are coveted as they head into Cleveland for the national convention. So that's at the end of the month. We're going to be covering it really closely. One thing that you mentioned earlier, and I find it really interesting, because I know also when, when you came here, um, you were you were concerned about the lack of participation in political races at a local level, um, and, and even beyond congressional races. Um, will there be are, are there going to be initiatives on the California's big INR state um, referendum state? Are there going to be local initiatives, local ballot referenda that might uh, you know the, that might really benefit from this enormous boost in participation and 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 you know, are you seeing local, local candidates take advantage of this or, or begin to try and take advantage of it as well? Because when you have voters engaged, they're going to be engaged. You rarely have that opportunity. It's kind of like a lottery ticket. You got you to cash it when you get it. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things, you know, we just love talking about. Um, and actually, I'm going to pull this up here because I don't remember offhand which city this is in. Most of our referendums are going to be on the November ballot, yeah. but there are actually a handful on the June 7th ballot. So uh, one of them is, here it is, it's Glendale. It's a utility tax. They're basically looking to rescind the tax. It's a, a measure that's supported by Tea Party activists. And so they're thinking, you know, if you have a huge cruise or Trump turnout, that can right. actually um, really affect that. And then the city, that's 15% of the city's general fund revenue comes for from this tax and it pays police, fire protection, and other services. So people are, are kind of freaked out about that. Um, there is one other very small and minor ballot measure that I don't even have here that you know could be affected. But more than likely, we're looking at November for that. It's the smaller races, you know, whether that's a county supervisor yeah. or mayoral races that that will have a huge effect. Usually, these are decided by a few, in some cases, a few hundred voters. This might be many thousands. Um. Do you worry at all, last question for you, then I'll let you go back to work, but do you worry at all uh, just as a, or do you see uh, the sort of rancor and acrimony that has come along with the Republican race, um, given particularly Donald Trump's association, uh, whether uh, by choice uh, or by sentiment with with immigration nativists? Is, is that a recipe for something perhaps, uh, you know, dangerous here? I mean, are are presumably, you know, the local police are working and trying to figure out with the Secret Service how they can how they can manage very, very large crowds, but crowds that are going to have a lot of protesters with them, too. Yeah, a lot of the protesters that are going to some of these rallies are actually from California. Right. They, and they are definitely right. an organized movement right. here, and particularly a lot of them are Sanders supporters, and there are a lot of Sanders supporters here. So we haven't really seen this because Donald Trump came out, he did an event in San Pedro, last fall, I think it was late October, um, maybe it was even September, and he hasn't been here since. That was before all this, yeah. Television. Yeah, so uh, he had had a press conference scheduled for his golf course, which is out in um, Rancho Palos Verdes, which kind of reminds me of the uh, Mar-a-Lago, where he had all of those events there in Florida, because it was like an easy home base for right. him, so my guess is he'll be doing a lot of that, and you know, then he'll go out and do big rallies, I mean, his last rally was on a, a battleship, 
Um, he can easily fill stadiums. We know that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, violence is always a concern. It's also just generally the attention California is getting from this. People are really glad about it. They want to matter. They want to feel like their vote counts. So I think you're just going to see an increase in participation all across the board. You know, curiosity, people want to see a presidential candidate up close asking for their vote because it just doesn't happen here on a regular basis. Pretty exciting. Also exciting, and I will let you go on this, of course, is yesterday the Los Angeles Times won a Pulitzer Prize for its coverage of the San Bernardino Massacre. Um, and uh, and congratulations on that. You were part of that, and and what a wonderful accolade for the newsroom. And it's always good to see a big regional, you know, anchor like the Los Angeles Times really kind of bring one home. So that makes me, as a consumer of news, very happy as well. So congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. you know, one thing I'll say about it yeah. is that it really was a showcase of the future of this newsroom coming together. So one of the reasons we were able to so swiftly have reporters on the scene and reporting what we were seeing and really uncover, you know, all the tools that you have in your toolbox as a reporter, they were showcased thanks to innovations in technology. We have a live blog system here that's very easy. Anyone can post to it from their phone, wherever they are. And that was what was really showcased. Many of our, we had 43 other bulletins um, that we can be proud of over the years, but this is the one that really showcases an online effort. And so like that makes everybody proud, but it also just shows that the newsroom is pointed in the right direction. Christina, thank you so much. Um, uh, and, and, uh, and get back to work. Don't let me bother you anymore. But, uh, We'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Have a good one, Mark. Thanks so much. And that is the Knowledge Wonderland podcast. I'm Mark Amateur. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to Christina Bellantoni as well for telling us about the California primary. And I'm sure we'll be doing a lot more before June 7th. If you want to find out more about me, you can go to markamateur.com or follow me on Twitter at Mark Ambender or on Facebook the Mark Hamilton. The. Dun, dun, dun. This podcast is distributed by ACAST, and they have a great player, so go to ACAST.com and download the ACAST podcast player. Tenshi Hikari produced the podcast for us, and Tin Tin V provides the music. Thanks to both of them. And thank you for listening, we'll see you back here next time for another episode of Knowledge Wonder.